Parenting is hard. Few of us feel up to the task. The world is shifting, quickly and dramatically. All of us feel the changes affecting our families. The stress and pressure can be intense. We are here to help sort the good and the bad, provide insight and bring hope. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. We're so glad you stopped by. Hi, and welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I am your co-host. That was very tentative. Hi. Well, I didn't know I didn't know exactly what tone I wanted to hear. Hi. It's episode 71. Well, usually when you're I like, do that, more. you're like, wow, that's too loud. No. So you're the critic. That's a problem. Let me start over. We'll do it your way. Hi, I'm Pastor Brad Mathias, and welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting, Robert. That was better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who are you? What's your name? My name is Robert, and I'm really glad to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to hear that. I'm yeah. glad to be here, and I was glad first. Well, that's good. I've got a question for you. You've got something in front of you that I'm curious about. Yeah. What is I that? Do. Well, this is, uh, you know, I've moved to Maine, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm a Mainer. I'm not a maniac. I think you have to live there generationally before they will give you that honorific, but I'm a Mainer. And I found out that in the uh, late February, early March seasons, the sap runs in sugar maples. Hmm. Now, I thought that would be like later in the year, but people stop on the side of roads with buckets they do and not. They do. I, I swear they do. And they go up these old country lanes, and, and I see these cars parked. I think they're like, what are they, hiking? Are they hunting? What's going on? They come back with these buckets. They're tapping sugar maples. You're so, kidding me, really? I'm like they totally literally serious. go up to a tree they, and tap. They have sugar maple festivals, and it's a big, big thing up there. And so uh, most of the maple syrup, I guess, that uh, that people use on pancakes or waffles or whatever – is coming from this area I moved to. I have n- I had n- no idea. So you know, I, I and so what? Is that, you can't tell me what that. I mean, you can't. No, tell they're gonna have to go a, online and see it on YouTube. But it looks good. It does look good, and we should probably break into them later. Just, yeah, just as a you know, not a bad idea. Put it right there. Yeah, and so it, it is a cultural thing in Maine, like ice fishing, which is like not recommended Tennessee for Southerners. Does the Sausage gravy. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I mean, guess it would be the equivalent. Tennessee has all kinds of strange, quirky things we do. This is true. But uh, this is one of the strange, quirky things about Maine. And I wanted to share it with our audience. Well, I'm glad you did. And I'm really, um, really excited about this episode um, because we're going we're gonna to be able to talk to someone that's actually funny. As opposed and famous. to he's yeah. funny and famous. Funny I mean, and famous. Have you read this bio? Have you seen I, the things? Pretty he's impressive. Done? <laughs> pretty impressive. I'm going to read some of it uh, before we give him their name. His name. I mean, this is a guy who started in um, really the late '80s as a comedian. He's a Christian comedian. He's perform- performed in front of presidents uh, George W. Bush. He's been at the National Prayer Breakfast. He's performed at the Grand Ole Opry, which is big stuff here in Nashville. Uh, Bill Gaither. He's toured with. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff with the the U.S. troops uh, overseas in the Persian Gulf. Not to mention uh, spending a lot of time on television with Showtime, Comedy Central, uh, Premium Blend, VH1, Glenn Beck, Huckabee, all kinds of all kinds of things he's done. This guy's been around. He has been around. Yeah, his name is Jeff Allen, and welcome to Brilliant. Thank Great. you. Nice to be here. It's great to have you here. One of the things, I don't know if you, you want to jump into this because this isn't funny, but um, I do think it's a really important part of your story, um, that you almost lost your marriage, um, it oh, says yeah. here, and because uh, of drugs and alcohol. Yeah, Tam, well, I almost lost it sober. 
Um, I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I it got sober about a year into the marriage. Um, mm. I was a, um, I was finding myself getting increasingly violent. Mm. And, um, so I quit drinking after an episode and, um, uh, that's when the wheels really came off. Um, I almost lost my marriage seven, eight years into sobriety. We were really finally, she had had enough. And the irony of it was the night that I, I, um, I bottomed really was I had gone into the room. She was sleeping and I was up, uh, doing some, some cocaine and, and, uh, drinking rum and trying to figure out where all this guilt and shame and humiliation came from in my mm -hmm. life. And I realized it was my marriage and, so I just thought, and, and, and again, when you're insane, which you are, when you're an alcoholic and you're in the process, I mean, I was on a three or four day binge at that point mm -hmm. and, um, what seems to be rational. So, uh, it isn't, it's literally insane. There's another word for it. So I decided that if I just beat my wife up, um, dragged her out of bed and beat her, that she'll divorce me and that'll be the end of it. And wow. I can cut a check. I mean, and, and the process was a couple hours, but. In a nutshell, that's what it came down to. So I had walked into the room to to do that. I was standing over her, and then, you know, I don't care how drunk you are, God has given us all a conscience, and it's somewhere in the midst of all of that, you know, my, my conscience kicked in and realized this is wrong. Mm. So as I was wrestling with what I was going through, my son started crying. He was six months old, and I laid my hands on him, to, and I spanked him pretty hard, and... um Tammy came in and took him away from me and sat on the end of the bed and fed our son. And uh, it just hit me like an epiphany, what I had just done um, mm. to a hungry child, you know. And um, I told Tammy that night, if you don't take me to Alcoholics Anonymous, I won't go. And if I don't go, I don't think we're going to make it. Wow. And uh, not even thinking about the fear that that sends through her, you know. I mean, it just, we weren't even married a year. You know, and now she, you know, she already had one baby, you know, yeah. and, and then we, I just gave her another one and, and I'm thinking of leaving. So anyway, I went to AA, they said, pray. I said, the what, you know, <laughs> I didn't believe in God, certainly. And, um, I wasn't getting on my knees to pray to something I made up. So that started me on my journey, uh, that in hindsight, you look back, I love the term hound of heaven mm. because it, uh, it, it, it seemed like. The pursuit was there. I just needed to exhaust everything that I could exhaust, and and it started with self help. Uh, I remember going to a therapist uh, at one point. She put Roadless Travel into my hands, and um, I became a voracious reader. It was interesting. I never read a book my entire life until I got sober, and I just wanted to find an answer to why I, I was such a, a, a I was not a nice guy. And, um, you know, again, AA said pray, so I, I was going to pray. I didn't care. I did whatever they told me to do. I just knew I didn't want to drink again. And um, the anger was there. The rage was there. The, um, the, the cynicism, the bitterness. Uh, you know, they say who you are at home is who you are. And I was not a, I was not a decent man, you know. And uh, wait, I had moments, you know, obviously. Uh, but I traveled a lot, so I think that's kind of what saved our marriage. Uh, doing what I do, you know, I was out of town a couple weeks a month. I remember once getting audited by the IRS, and they said, "How many days a year are you on the road?" I go, "I don't know." It says on the sheet, and then we looked down. It was 228 days. Holy cow! Yeah, and you talk about hitting. At that, at that point, we were in the process of getting a divorce. We were separated, uh, living under the same roof because I couldn't afford to get another place. 
you know, God has plans, you know, and I just moved into the guest room. And um, uh, so I, I realized at that moment, no wonder she's leaving me, mm. you know. Uh, and when I was home, I wasn't very pleasant. So um, anyway, I, uh, at the end of the audit, it was very funny because they started to look, talk to me about taking my home deduction away. And that was it for me. That was a final straw. I slid my <laughs> keys across the desk into the lap of the auditor and I said, take everything. I mean, it hit wow. me like a freight train. All yeah. you could tape for me is my stuff. It's wood, it's plaster, and um, it's uh, styrofoam, whatever it is. It's metal. I mean, it's just junk anyway. I said, the only important thing in my life is my wife and my children, and I'm losing them because of you people. I mean, I blame them for all the stress I was under that I was, you know, and, you know, uh, and it's interesting because it wasn't until a couple years later that somebody put the Bible in my hands, and the first sermon I ever heard in my life was on Ecclesiastes. <laughs> and it was. It's, that sermon in 45 minutes summed up an eight-year search of mine, that nice. it is all meaningless. Yeah, Life without God will have no meaning without meaning. There's no purpose without purpose. You might as well commit suicide. And we had had divorce papers filled out and notarized, and we just never filed them. And at one point, Tammy finally said, uh, I, that's it. I, I got to do this. You're draining me. And um, we were driving to the courthouse a couple days later, and 10 minutes from the courthouse, she said, pull over. And I thought she was going to be sick. I mean, it was not a pleasant time. And anyway, we get on the side of the highway in Arizona where we were living at the time, and um, she said, this is wrong. Let's go home. Hmm. And I said, uh, you're out. She goes, what do you mean? I said, you're out, baby. I said, I'm trying, but I, you deserve better than me. You really do. I don't know. I've tainted goods. I something, you know. My brother was like me. My father was like me. I just, I, you know, and I believe me, I was doing the work. I just couldn't go long stretches without blowing up and smashing cabinets or breaking dishes or or or, or something. I remember one night. I really believe this is when the Holy Spirit came to me. Uh, I had a fit where I slammed cabinets and I broke dishes and I went outside and I had to put a fifty-pound heavy bag on my porch that I could hit when that rage would come. So I was out there punching that bag. And Tammy said to me years later that she says, remember that bag? I mean, we were living here, uh, we were, you know, 10 years past this. And she said, remember that bag you used to have out on the porch? And I said, yeah. She said, every time you went out there and hit that bag, I thought you were hitting me. Oh, man. And I just, yeah. I said, you don't understand. This bile would come up, and I had no idea where it was coming from, why it was coming up, but I had to get it. I had to get it out. I mean, I would sit there literally and pound my skull to just try to make it stop. Mm. And uh, th that night, I was hitting that bag, and it fell off the hinges, whatever was holding it up. It fell on the ground, and I picked it up, and I was throwing it against the cinder block fence we had out there, and screaming at the heavens, just screaming, just that word, why, why. I had no clue as to why this was going on and uh at one point you know i calmed down and i walk into the house and tammy says leave get out and i said i'm okay now she says i, I no you gotta go you live in hotels anyway just get out of here and my youngest son who was five years old at that time came walking over and he says daddy you scare me and i picked him up and i said i scare myself and this calm came over me, and I looked at Tammy, and I said, uh, it'll never happen again. 
Hmm. And she says, BS. And I said, no, have I ever said that to you? She goes, what difference does that make? I said, I never said it to you. Because my father said it over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and it always happened again. And I wouldn't do that to you. I knew it was going to happen again. I never said to you. I was always careful never to say that. I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Those are the things I said. I'm trying. But I never, ever, ever said to you, it'll never happen again. Because I knew it would. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it did. It, I believe that was the moment God said, this guy's had enough. Hmm. And it was a breaking point. Yeah. I think it was another six or eight months when I finally committed to my faith, mm-hmm. when I heard that sermon on Ecclesiastes. And I realized it was, it's all meaningless. It's family. I mean, you set your sights on so many Mm. distractive things and who knew it would be the irs and who (laughs) can anything good come from the irs IRS? (laughs) but yeah that was the um the 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 point where i just i quit trying to fight and you know you listen to you know guys like dave ramsey who talk about slave to debt Mm. you know and that's what we were we i was just trying to band-aid and salve wounds that were never meant to be band-aided and salved by material. Right. You yeah. know, Pascal called it the, the God-shaped hole, you know, and um, that's it's the best description I've ever heard. There's just this hole in all of humanity. So for our audience's sake, Jeff, um, you've, you've just sort of laid yourself open to us and said, this is where I was in my bottom. This right. is the bottom that I hit. Somewhere from that moment until now as a successful comedian, Christian sort of spokesperson for hope, if you will, yeah. something really changed in your life. How did you get from that bottom moment 30 years ago to where you are today? Well, it's interesting today. I mean, it's, it's funny because uh, um, I spend a lot of time talking about the past uh, that seems to be what interests the people who hire me. Okay. You know, um, uh, the best way I can say it is everything's flipped. What used to be a daily, weekly occurrence is now an occasional. It's an anomaly. You know, we had a, <laughs> we kind of look at our fights today and we, we, we you know, <laughs> we, we, when we do, I, I, this is an example. A couple years ago, we're laying in bed and we're talking about things and Tammy's reflecting and she says, uh, boy, you know, the marriage is, it's really, really good right now, you know? And I, I, I've told her over and over again, you need to tell me, you know, you ever watch that show Dateline on TV? <laughs> it's all about spouses killing each other. And I always tell my <laughs> wife, I go, if, if every man in America needs to watch like five of those, because at some point you'll look at your wife, we doing all right, you and me? <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, it, it, and nobody ever sees it coming, of course. You know, it's always, uh, you know, oh, they loved each other. So, well, apparently not. They found her in a shoebox in the woods. So, no, somebody, you know, anyway. Um, 
we're laying in bed and she's like, you know, I have always told her, I said, you need to, we need to do assessments so that I know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm self-absorbed. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an art, I'm an artist. So it's like, you know, and I don't, not all artists are self-absorbed, but a lot of us are. <laughs> so just let me know, you know, I said, I'm, I'm, I can handle it, you know? Uh, and, um, anyway, she says, yeah, things are really, really, really good. And then we collectively thought, you know, what can we do to screw it up? <laughs> and because uh, we've done everything else, if you list the top five: alcohol, drugs. Uh, she had cancer that breaks marriages up. Um, you know, she's great now. She's twenty years cancer free. Wow. So that's, that's that's wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. And then um, what else? We had bankruptcy. We filed bankruptcy yeah, in the nineties. That's pretty much that's, the top yeah, five. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, and then infidelity. We had that. So I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. Um, and then uh, we said, what else could we do? And then Tammy says, I know. Let's do a remodel. So, uh, yeah, let's just gut the house and just yeah, turn not, everything that's up. That's not stressful at so, all. No, not at all. We live like college roommates for five months in the basement, and I'm not making this up. We were in the middle of one of uh, what was a, a becoming a lot of just snippy, snipey things, and we got into something, and uh, I was ready to just tell her I want a divorce. And I didn't mean it. I just was – I, was, I, I couldn't think of anything else to say. And I was like – and I got – because I have ADHD, I got distracted. I don't know what it was. It was a noise behind me. So I turn around, and then there's nothing there. I turn back and realize what I was about to say. And I go, all right, baby, I got I to gotta go. And I called a friend of mine who was a counselor in, in Franklin. We have coffee every now and then. I said, I need your professional services. <laughs> I'm uh, stressed to the, to the, to the max. And uh, anyway, he just quickly pointed out he goes let me see you said you would never take on any more debt since you filed bankruptcy and you just took on two hundred thousand dollars for a remodel <laughs> you know so what started as a just a kitchen remodel turned into a two hundred thousand dollar behemoth yeah. thing yeah so anyway i go yeah he goes yeah no wonder you're stressed he said uh can you get out of it i go i'm not getting out of it he goes then accept it that's your choices you know mm. it sounds simple but he was right i mean Sure. So I came home and told Tam, I said, I'm over it. Yeah. And, uh, so you've been on quite a journey. How long have you been married? What's your... 32 years. So 32 years. Obviously, you guys have overcome some significant struggles, some significant Yeah, obstacles. what breaks a lot. I don't know if we were just, you know, mentally ill and we got through it, <laughs> you know, because normal people probably wouldn't put up with it. Yeah. You know, I guess. But um, I, I'd like to think there was a divine hand in that. Yeah. That, um, um, you know, I had a friend of mine who led me to Christ that uh, I asked him why, you know, he prayed for us. I, it didn't mean much to me, you know. He told us, told me after every conversation, he says, I want you to know, that my, we pray for your marriage. And I go, why? And he said, we just believe marriages are ordained from God. And mm. God didn't put you two together to create life and then one of you to leave. Your parent, your kids need two parents. And. So anyway, I just took him at his word. I said, okay, if this is meant to be, you know. And again, I prayed. I, did, I didn't you know, I remember telling AA people, you know, because they tell me I need a higher power. And I go, look, if I'm making up a deity, that makes me delusional. I said, I, I understand God exists or he doesn't. But if I just fabricate this thing, how does that work when life happens? You know, when you're, when you're on your knees begging for some kind of relief in a, in a storm, and you're, you know, uh, you know, death of a child, loss of a job, you know, cancer, whatever. And you're praying for some kind of peace in the, in the middle of all of this. And your brain is chirping. You know, what, what are you praying to? Who are you praying right. to? You what, made that up. Th you made it up. I mean, so 
get over it. Yeah. Or, you know, God exists. So anyway, and again, if I had walked into Alcoholics Anonymous 31 years ago when I walked in and they said, you need Jesus, I'd have left. Right. So God put me in a place and put people in my life um, that um, he understood my heart and my mind. And uh, it was just whatever this process was. It wasn't this road to Damascus thing where I got struck. You know, it was a long, gradual, well, to me, thought out process. But in hindsight, his hand was in the whole, yeah. yeah, just pushing me. Okay, if this is what you want, I'll show you, and I'll show you how empty it is. If this is what you want, I'll show you that, and I'll show you how empty it is. I ended up with Ayn Rand when I met the guy that put the Bible in my hands. That was my last ditch. I said, all right, if it's humanism, I'll I'll go with it. You know, 100%, I'll jump in, you know. And I really thought at that point in my life that if I just made more money, my life would be better, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm nodding my head because there's some parallels to both Robert and I's story um, of our marriages and sort of these uh, really painful lessons that we go through. So you've had, uh, how many children do you have? Two boys and four grandchildren now. Okay. So think of the audience that we're talking to. We're talking to parents who are right in the middle of raising kids. Uh, What advice would you give, say, a mom? whose husband is struggling with drugs and alcohol or wow. anger management. What do you tell someone like that? Can I reframe that a sure, little bit? Because, I mean, I think it's an excellent question, but what I'm hearing from you and I think the parallel that Brad's referring to is that at some point or another, what's common amongst us is we get to this breaking point and we realize that we have to surrender. And to right. you, it was the keys across the table, like take it all because you realize actually what's really important. Bottoming out, as they call it, right. is is kind of the beginning of transformation from our perspective. If you were to put words in Tammy's mouth, what would she say saved your marriage? And in that sense, like kind of what Brad, how, what would you say to the mom out there that is dealing with someone that may have serious anger issues or addiction or whatever? Um, what was it that kept Tammy hanging in? You know, you'd have to ask her. Um, I know, I know, I know that, but it's it is it is difficult. I, I made the mistake once of doing speaking for her, speaking for her, <laughs> and, and at a, an event, and she she was ticked, and uh, she said, "Look, if you're going to do my story, at least get it right." You know. And anyway, the next night, I went on stage and told the audience I overstepped a bound last night. Mm. You know, I said, "If you want to know from Tammy." Um, I get that a lot, but I do get that a lot on the road. Women will come up to me after, you know, especially at churches and stuff and just say, I got a, I got a man at home just like you. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Can I talk to your wife? And I, and, and, um, again, I don't know if we were, you know, it, to me, pain is the only motivator for change in a human being's life. Mm. That's the way I look at it. Suffering, you know, C.S. Lewis said suffering was God's megaphone. Um, and I don't mean you have to suffer. AA used to say it was, you know, pain is the only thing going to get you to change. So depending on your threshold for pain, I had a high, I think Tammy did as well. Mm. I mean, we look at who we were when we got married. And, um, you know, the best explanation I heard was, uh, you know, you always carry baggage into your, everybody does. So our, our my round neuroses fit into her round pegs fit into her round hole neuroses. Mm. And we had a little dance that we would do. I would rage out, embarrass myself, humiliate myself, and I'd come to her full of shame and apologize. 
and that was a dance we did for a while and until I got tired of, of, of so I, I wouldn't react the same way. And then sometimes she'd push those, those things to get that reaction. I mean, and this is all stuff we learned because we, we sought it out. So the most important thing I think in any person's life, uh, what did Aristotle say? Unexamined life is not worth it. Examine your life. If you know, and you have to be honest. And if you can't, you need people in your life that will be honest with you. And that was where the 12 step program came in for me. I had people that knew me better than I knew myself. The lies that I would tell myself, then I told myself, you know, like uh, I'm a decent father. Well, technically I wasn't. I'd sit on a bar stool and tell everybody about all the great things I was going to do. But I never did any of them, right. and I needed somebody else to point that out to me. You know, hey, you got all these grand plans for your boys. What have you done? Nothing. I did nothing. I shoved them away when they came near me because I, I was hungover, or tired, or just you know stressed. Um, I feel for anybody that's in a relationship where there's this distance and inability to at least even acknowledge the elephant in the room. Um, I had a willingness, if I did anything right, I had a willingness to change. Mm. I wanted to change. I knew the man I was was not the man I wanted to be. And I needed to create, at least look at, I had to see other models of what a man looked like, a father. You know, my, I was my dad, you know, and, right. you know. So if you're, obviously, if you're in a relationship where your life is threatened, get out. Yeah. You know, um. I, you know, it's funny when Tammy made that decision to turn around and go home, you know, um, we were at two different places for the longest time. I was trying to keep her, keep her there. I finally let go, right? you know, and then we get going and then she says no. And, and, and I'm going, you're out. Um, uh, but get to know, I, I, Al-Anon, if you're with a man who drinks alcoholically, Al-Anon, um, I know enough people in AA who got sober because their wives went to Alana mm. and they quit, they quit the dance. Mm -hmm. There's a dance. All relationships yeah. have that. You can play victim. Uh, and that gives you your self worth. Um, you know, and again, I'm not going to diagnose anybody, but sometimes you have to look and say, especially Tammy, Tammy knew, I think if I, if, if she had to say anything, she had enough history with bad men to mm. know that if she got rid of me, she'd bring another bad another man one in. in, another one in. That is so interesting. So you're, you've obviously transitioned from the pain and, and the uh, regret of some of those earlier choices and you're a comedian now. So you've channeled <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mad enough. Like this yeah. darkness into something light. And uh, I'm curious, how did, how did that, how did that all come to be? How did well, it's interesting. I was a comedian. Um, I started in 1978. So I got married in 86. 36, 32, 30, 87. No, 86. Yeah, Ryan was born in 87. So I got married in 86. So that I was a comedian for eight years. And then I hit the road um, for another 10 years doing nightclubs. And I was so angry. Uh, that's the change, you know. When I, literally, when I gave my life to Christ, I said, "Look, I, I, I was, I was bottomed out as a comedian. I really was. I, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I went for a job to get sell used, tr used trucks, 
And I went through three interviews. I get to the big sales manager guy. I walk in. He's wearing an Armani suit. He's got the uh, Rolex. He's got the pinky ring. And he looks at me. He looks at my thing. And he says, I was 38 years old. He says, would you consider yourself a success? I go, no. I'm in the process of changing careers. And, um, you know. And he goes, yeah, you're right. You're not a success. He goes, I wouldn't hire a loser like you if you were the last one in town. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, really, just blatantly, boom. And and the sweat starts Ouch. under your arms. And and he says, what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm a comedian. He goes, what kind of stuff do you do? I told him. I talk about my wife, my kids, and stuff. He goes, give me an example. It's like, you know, again, you're, so I do it. And he goes, you're not even funny, you know. Oh Why'd you gosh. wait this long to get out of comedy? <laughs> and... You know, so you, you, you yeah, hunkered. I mean, at your lowest point in your life, it's like there's yeah. somebody kicking well, you in the ribs, you, yeah. you know. Anyway, it's probably the bl- a blessing. You know, it was. As a matter of fact, I went home and, and I told Tam, you know, in essence, I'm unemployable. I remember going to Domino's Pizza to deliver pizzas. Um, and I read where if you're, if you're on the ball and you're sharp, Domino's will build you a franchise. You know, over time, and they, they, you know, if you work your way, up, starting with delivery, and you get, I mean, I read that somewhere that they, 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 a lot of their franchise owners, or so I thought, okay, well, I can do that. So I got some twenty-year-old looking at my application. <laughs> you know, I've had at that time nineteen years as a stand-up comic. That's it. That's my work history. Nineteen years as a stand-up comic, and he goes, "What do you do?" I said, "Well, I'm a comedian." He goes. How does that qualify you for this job? I mean, delivering pizzas. Like, you're not splitting atoms back there, are you? <laughs> you know, I don't need an actual college degree. For, I said, I'll tell you what. I find addresses in towns I don't even live in. Imagine how good I could be finding addresses in town a town I live in. You know, and he didn't like my attitude, so he didn't hire me. I couldn't get a job delivering pizzas. And one day, Tammy sat me down, and she just started, like, you know, uh, metaphorically slapping me and said, you're a, st- you're a comic. Just be a comic and stop it. Stop looking for other things to do. Just do that the best you can. And it was almost like I got permission to go back. Mm. And uh, and by that point, I was changing. Um, uh, I was working cleaner. I was trying to work clean. We got called into school one day, and my uh, fourth-grade son had called his teacher some nasty names under his breath and um you know again um i told the teacher i said i'd love to look you in the eye and tell you i have no idea where that child heard <laughs> that kind of language but i might know but he's been in nightclubs since he was five <laughs> so anyway i said it doesn't exonerate him and uh whatever the punishment is uh you know administer it and uh he he goes to me you know he's in fourth grade he says i didn't mean it and i go so let me un- so we're all on the same page you have no control what comes out of your mouth whatsoever. If your brain thinks it, you got to speak it. He goes, yeah. I said, so if that was a six foot four, 255 pound man, you would have said the same thing. He goes, probably not. I go, there you go. <laughs> and uh, I said, when we get home, I, when we got home, I made him write out an apology. And then you read it to your teacher and I want her to sign it so I know you read it. And he came home and I said, how'd that go? He goes, it's awful. I go, it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's hard for a man to own what comes out of his mouth. As I'm listening to you talk, I'm I'm thinking about some of my story, and um, listeners know a lot about my story as well. And I I think for many men uh, who might be in the middle of sort of self destructive habits, let's just call them that, that there's a an offer of grace that comes from God. That is difficult to comprehend 
at some point you had to accept that grace and it had to have dramatically Boy, just, changed yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, it does. It, it does. The, the realization, it was funny. Um, I was out with Gaither and I'd never heard of Bill Gaither and, um, we had lunch together, and I came home, and I said to Tammy, I think I just had lunch with the Elton John at gospel music. <laughs> the Elton John. <laughs> she says, really? I go, babe, I'm looking him up. He's got, at that time, he had like top top five of the top ten oh, yeah. uh, music videos over all genres. Yeah. You know, yeah. He was outselling everybody. And um, he, uh, oh, I just lost my train of thought. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting old. We were talking about grace. And then oh, that was, yeah, yeah, grace. And uh, they said to me, the first show I did for him, now I'm coming out of casinos, right? So I, it was at this praise gathering. So I go up and I do seven minutes on a, the opening night. And it, it was amazing. I, I'd never been in front of 15,000 people. And it was like just goosebumps. I mean, it was amazing. And I'm riding this cloud. So the next day we have these breakouts. And um, anyway, one of the, Gaither's guys comes over to me and says, uh, hey, loved what you did last night. And you know, you know, I've been around people, I know the the butt's coming. You know, <laughs> yeah. hey, loved what you did last night, but um, do you think at some point you can mention you love your wife in the show? And I go, they don't know that? He goes, well, you hit her kind of hard, you know. And again, I coming out of casinos, yeah, and believe I me, wonder. I thought I was pretty benign. So I said, sure, I can mention that. That's not a problem, you know. So I do my little dog and pony for fifteen minutes this time, and I'm and I'm ready to leave. And I go, oh wait a minute, I got to tell you this. And I said, God has blessed me with the most amazing woman, and I start talking about Tammy. I start weeping mm. like a four year old. I am, <laughs> you know, and uh, I get off the stage, and Tammy goes, "What the heck was that?" I go, <laughs> "I have no clue, babe. I really don't. I really don't." But it's that grace and forgiveness, and that's what I was talking about, mm -hmm. was th this woman had every reason on planet Earth, every reason to not be there. And I said, when, when they came to me with the concept of a forgiving, loving God that was full of grace, I've experienced it on Earth. I experienced mm -hmm. it. I had a woman who had no reason to be there, no reason to lie next to me at night, but yet, there she was. That's grace. So I understood all of you know the blasphemy. I remember when I realized there was a God. I mean, I I can re I tell you where I was. I was in my living room in Phoenix, Arizona. I listening to these Bible tapes, and Tammy was in Ohio, and uh, sh uh, uh, with the kids, and she she probably wasn't coming back. And uh, I'm listening to these Bible tapes, and I get to Genesis 1-1, which I found out later Francis Schaeffer said was the most pregnant verse in the entire Bible. In the beginning, God. That's, it gave birth to everything else in the Bible. And I, I heard that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it hit me, bam, and I fell on my face, and I'm, I'm crying on the floor. Call my friend up who's been discipling me. There's a God. There's a God. He goes, I know, but uh, he goes, I've been trying to tell you for like a year and a half, and uh, you got a problem with that. And that's when I said blasphemy, cursing him, denying him. Why would he want me? And uh, he basically said, have you gotten to the cross? I go, what's that? He, you know, he goes, oh, I can't ruin the ending. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, but it was that, that grace that to understand. Uh, and again, I always tell atheists this. If, if, if God exists, you at least have to look at what I believe. 
and why I live, try to live the way I live. Yeah. This isn't some benign belief. It's everything. That's my starting point. In the beginning, God. You know, that's the origin, meaning, morality, destiny that I always keep hearing about. Every worldview has to at least answer that. Mm-hmm. So it begins with origin. Where did I come from? If, I, if I'm just a product of an accident, well then, yeah, sure, I can develop a moral system, but it certainly doesn't have any you know, eternal consequences. It doesn't have any reason. You know, I could flow with the wind and the, and the yeah. you know. But for me, it was everything. And then understanding, you know, when, when Jesus said, we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. For the standard that you hold another to, I will hold you to. Yeah. Whew, I better be darn careful how I hold another person to uh, to account. Yeah. yeah. You know? And uh, Robbie Zacharias always says, you deal with the questioner before you deal with the question. And that becomes a, a human relationship mm. first before I deal with your belief system as a friend. But that's everything. Without grace and forgiveness, you can't have a marriage. You can't because you don't have two perfect people. You know, and I loved what, I don't know, it was Piaget, one of them, those psychologists, I was reading everybody. Anyway, talked about this baggage that we, we all walk into our relationships with. We spent, you know, I know it was Carl Jung, one of them said, we spend our entire childhood picking up things and throwing them in a big bag we have on, and then we spend our entire adulthood emptying the bag, <laughs> you know. That's very well said. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, true. So I don't know where I'm at in the bag emptying department, but it's still, there's a lot of stuff on there, <laughs> you know? Well, I, I can tell that uh, as you've shared these stories, some of them are decades old. Yes. The, the pain of it is still there. Like sure. you can still feel sort of that, that pain and that you're in a process of re- restoration and redemption. I think for all of us, we're on a journey of restoration and redemption. And there is that hope that there's going to come a day when everything gets set the way it's supposed to be. Mm. We're the way we're supposed to be. Our world is the way it's supposed to be. Climate change stops. (laughs) Everything (laughs) changes. (laughs) And I I realize that for many Christians, um, they lose hope in the marriage or in relationships where there's struggle. And one of the things that I can just take away from listening to you is that you and your wife stuck with it when it was very difficult. And at the end of that, there's a redemptive story of hope that, that God can meet your need. God can come into that pain and make it better. So powerful story, man. Well, I love that word restoration because that's what it is. If you got a house that's foundationally falling apart, you can't begin to build the rest of the house till you get the foundation restored, you know. And to me, the foundation is your worldview. And if you're be to me, I mean, again, you know, you're beginning at the, the, the you can start here, but if you say no God, then your life is going to go one way, yeah. my life is going to go the other. So this this concept of restoration and redemption is um, is a theme in your life. Um, that you've been sharing with this audience. And, and just in closing, just sort of as a wrap-up, sort of a saying goodbye to this audience, what what have you learned the most about God through this experience? One is that he's real. Uh, and there's a relationship with him through prayer. Um, I'd like to tell you that I'm a 
daily Bible reader. I'm a, uh, I do all the things. It's funny. I found myself in the middle of all of this. I, I, I be started to become more legalistic in my faith. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't raised in a church, believe me. So it wasn't like the legalism came. It just seemed to be a natural progression. Yeah. And I have been very blessed to have men in my life that are, um, one, they're honest with me, and two, uh, they're a lot deeper into their walk than I am. Um, and uh, it legalism will destroy the grace and the forgiveness. And then if you don't have the grace and the forgiveness, the restoration will never happen. Hmm. I'm a work in progress. I understand that. It's not to excuse my, my sinful behavior. It's just to understand. You know, John Bradshaw said that guilt is good because it tells you you did something wrong. Shame is not good because it says there's something wrong with you. Hmm. There's nothing inherently wrong with me other than... Um, you know, I lie, you know, uh, you know that's, yeah, you know, uh, I, I, and I catch myself all the time. I mean, I, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I, I lied for so many years that it's second nature to me. I mean, I, I would catch myself, I'd say something to Tammy and I would go, I'm sorry, that's not the truth. <laughs> you know, over silly things like, you know, what you make last week. And I'd, I'd, I'd pad it another hundred dollars or something, or, you know, take 50 off so that I could go buy. I mean, it's just silly yeah. things that, you know, I mean, Needs. if you're going to lie, at least save your count. life. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? So, um, uh, I don't know. I just, um, I'm a work in progress. I lightened up on myself a, yeah, a, a number huge. of years ago. And, uh, I am not going to get there this side of heaven. And, uh, you know, I love the line, when you get to heaven, God's going to ask you one question. When you're on earth, did you get the joke? You know, <laughs> and the joke is on anybody who thinks, one, they can navigate their way through this this morass, morass without God, without me. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, um, you know, it's just not meant to be taken that seriously, yeah. you know. And I don't, you know, I, so, I don't know who said it, but I love it. You know, it would have been nice if somewhere in the Bible... It said Jesus laughed. Right. We know he wept. We know he, you know, he turned tables. He got angry. But just somewhere in there, he had a laugh when Peter well, said, you know, yeah, I'm with you. Say, you know, when Peter said, I'm with occasions. you, goes, <laughs> not even close, man. <laughs> you know? Those 12 caballeros he ran around with, I think. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot at of At some point, he was laughing. Well, Jeff, we're out of time, but it has been an uh, honor to hear your story yes. and uh, the passion in which you share it. Uh, where can our listeners find you? JeffAllenComedy.com and then on Instagram, JAllenComedy. And I think it's Jeff Allen Comedy on, or Jeff Allen on Facebook. Go to the fan page. The other one's full. And, and uh, JeffAllenComedy.com, though, has my calendar. It's, it's updated as stuff comes in. So you're actively touring and uh, yes. you're in and out of. Literally coast to coast. I just booked Myrtle Beach, and two days later, I'm going to be in Irvine, California. So. That's awesome. That is literally coast to coast. Yes, it is. Thank you so much for being with us, Jeff. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Robert, we've got some new stuff in the web store. Tell me about it, Brad. It's our very own swag. Really? Absolutely Brilliantly Brave now has its own line of caps, cups, clothing. Yeah, everything, man. We got swag. Dog sweaters? Uh, I don't know about the dog sweaters yet, but we can work on it. Okay. 
So if you're a fan and you've been listening to Brilliantly Brave and you want to share it with your friends, let them know that you're a supporter, hey, come to our website, ishinelive.com, and find out more. Well, Robert, that was a pretty intense discussion. It was beautiful. Yeah. That was beautiful. I love hearing stories about, you know, I mean, authentic stories where you're not trying to have all the right answers and, you know, never touched alcohol, never dealt with hard things or whatever. Um, we get a lot of those in Christian circles where everything's just pristine and perfect. And it's just so um, encouraging to hear someone that's had the grit in their life and has come out the, come out the other side, not just like surviving it, but actually being transformed through it and, and not, and being brave enough to tell the story. So that's what I got out of Jeff. He's such a, you can just tell sincere right. soul that is, yeah. has kind of has seen a lot. He and his wife. So yeah, I was and he's very not, encouraged. You know, it's, it's a messy journey. Yeah. He's not uh, sugarcoating anything. Even at this point in his life, after 30 some years of marriage, he's like, dude, it's still, yeah. like, this isn't That's done. the truth. I'm still in process. That's so the truth. Um, I think for the listener today, one of the, the strong takeaways I, I sort of grabbed was the fact that, that our stories matter, mm-hmm. that the things we've been through are not wasted, that God has purpose in our suffering. Yeah. I mean, he was describing some intense suffering, and you could see the tears in his eyes that would come, and he'd have to pause as the emotions sort of overtook him. Yeah. But it came from a healthier place. It wasn't that he was in, still stuck in that. He was just remembering right. that. And I, I think for many of us, we have choices about our suffering and struggles, that we can stay in them, or we can move through them, and they can become a reference point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, and it's important when you're in suffering to try to find the purpose in the pain, like to be, to be open to like, I'm not asking God that you take me completely out of this. I know that you're with me in this, but I'm going to pay attention to what you're trying to teach me through this. And, um, cause a lot of times we are just in such a hurry to get past, get to the other side of pain. And, uh, Unfortunately, when you do that, you sometimes have to learn the same lesson over and over and over and over until it sticks. And so best try to get that lesson the first time. Yeah. And I, I like the fact that he said I had to, I had to sort of lighten up because mm-hmm. I was starting to get legalistic. Yeah. So in his pursuit of God, his, uh, his recovery, if you will, his restoration included learning how to lighten up mm-hmm. a little bit. I think that's a good word for someone today. I agree. We take our lives pretty serious and uh, we judge ourselves pretty harshly. So I agree. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to Brilliantly Brave Parenting, and this is episode 71, which is amazing. Uh, To God be the glory for that. You can follow us actually online. Robert, tell them where. Facebook and um, Instagram. Yeah. Are we on Twitter? I don't know if we use Twitter. I don't think we Facebook do. and Instagram, and we have a really cool website where you can look yeah. at any of our uh, interviews, and they're all lying topically, so you can find things that you may be going through as a parent. Uh, it's at brilliantlybraveparenting.com. And as always, um, we would appreciate it if you go and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform that you use. And if you think about it, write us a review. I mean, unless it's a bad review, then don't write a review. Yeah, only the good ones. Yeah. If it's a good review, then then put some words down. It actually means a lot to the algorithms within iTunes and the other uh, platforms. So um, take 30 seconds, say a good word, and uh, we really appreciate it. We are 100% 
um, on the air because of your listening and your, your interaction with us. Yeah, and take a look at our partners. We've got sponsors that are very closely aligned with what we do, and they have amazing resources as well, products that would benefit any family of faith. That's right, as well as some pretty cool swag. Nice swag. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back here next week. See you then. God bless. Be encouraged, parents. You are not alone. In Paul's letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he writes, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Brilliantly Brave Parenting wants to be an encouragement and support that parents can rely on. Would you consider liking us and sharing us with a friend? As a part of the Tween Gospel Alliance, we are a nonprofit organization dependent on the support of friends like you. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be right here next week. You know, Robert, every parent, every pastor is looking for resources that are new and insightful for their kids. So true. So so where do we go? Well, with the advent of iShineLive.com, we have a web store. And in that web store, we've got resources. Like what? We've got resources like Bibles. We've got devotionals. We even have journals for kids. Do you have music? We do have music. And video? Absolutely. Wow. And everything's been designed for the preteen and tween in your life. Who needs Amazon? iShineLive.com. Check it out. Brad, you know I'm a foodie, right? Absolutely. Okay, I want to tell you about this awesome coffee experience. It's called CJ's Coffee Culture and Community. It is a faith-run coffee culture. And the thing that's really cool about this is that they roast their own beans, they have delicious coffees, and they, they have two brick and mortar, so two coffee bars, as well as a virtual location at cjscoffeecafe.com. Here's the cool thing. They ship their beans, they ship their coffee anywhere in the world, so you don't just have to be in Texas to enjoy it. CJ's Coffee Culture and Community. Awesome.